0: <laughs> <laughs> this morning's gospel lesson calls right yield of last week's reading. Jesus is still speaking with a group of his followers and he's still taking a bit of time to talk about their possessions. Last week's lesson, you remember, told us that we're to strive for the kingdom of heaven. And that in doing so we'll receive all those things that we need desire. Remember I said need in life, not necessarily what we want? And there are oftentimes, I makes a big difference. And this morning's lesson, Jesus goes on to tell his followers not to be anxious, not to be afraid, not to worry. Jesus began by saying, do not be afraid, little flock. For you it's your God's pleasure to give his kingdom. flock. <laughs> That's the same word that Paul used in the book of Acts when he's referring to the congregations we are in the early New Testament church. In 1 Peter, he used that same term when he was instructing the elders of the church to be shepherds of God's flock. Jesus begins by reminding this little flock of disciples that their earthly possessions aren't all that important and that only a treasure in heaven is worth clinging to. And he says, those familiar words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse is repeated each year as we begin the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday. The meaning of the statement is very simple. If your time and energy is wrapped up in earthy things, then that's where your heart is. But if you're more concerned with, with storing up treasure in heaven, well, Jesus said that is more worthwhile. Jesus tells us this morning that his Father is eager to give each of us a gift. He said it gives God pleasure to give us the kingdom. What parent can you, can't relate to that statement. Who here hasn't gained a great deal of pleasure watching their young children or their grandchildren opening gifts at Christmas time? Who had enjoyed that opportunity to, to buy that special gift for a child? Their first bicycle, the first doll, something special that they wanted so badly. If we can gain pleasure from such experiences, how much more must it please God to give his children the gift of eternal life? I suspect we've all heard a statement like this before, but but maybe you never stopped to to think what that really means. God gets a certain pleasure out of doing good things for you and me. Now for the life of me, I don't know why, but he does. And just as I believe that God grieves when bad things happen in our lives, I believe God takes joy when we experience those good things. Those little things in life that we can't quite explain those little joys that we experience from time to time, maybe that's God's way of sharing a part of the kingdom with us while we're still here on earth. You know, God desires his children to share all eternity with him. And I believe that God finds joy in witnessing those good things in our life while we're still here on earth. But you know, with every gift comes a level of responsibility. Sometimes it may be something as simple as a thank you card. More often, it might be more. When a student receives a new musical instrument, it's assumed they'll take the responsibility to, to, to practice and grow into their f- full musical potential. <coughs> Young boy inherits his grandfather's hunting knife. And, and that comes with a responsibility for learning how to use it carefully, to treat it with respect, and to keep it safely out of the hands of innocents college receives a great behest and assumes the responsibility of ensuring that that the scholarship dollars go to the most deserving and the most likely to fulfill their academic expectations. Several years ago, Carl and I were given an arcing plant in my company when we relocated to California. We kept it in the entrance of our home, and I remember how carefully we watched after it. We were afraid that we'd give it. We had to take care of it. It was a gift we have a responsibility to keep it alive. In the Old Testament, we're reminded again of the promise that God made to Abram. God told Abram, your reward will be great. Although Abram and Sarah had no children, God had promised to make his descendants as numerous as the scars in the sky. And we read that Abram believed and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. And that means being in a right relationship with God. We have stories throughout the Old Testament where God blessed Abraham and Sarah. He blessed Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon. But in every instance, with the blessing, came a call for faithfulness and obedience. Not be afraid, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's God's promise to each of us. But how often have we stopped to consider the responsibilities attached with that special gift? If you have this, have you ever been tempted to say, well, no thanks, just to say, Maybe I'll just pass on that gift. New young couples are often reminded of the unspeakable joy that comes with the birth of a new child. Yet if parents ever stop to count the cost of taking that new baby home, might they be tempted to say, well, I don't know if I'm to accept this gift or not. I mean, there's, there's baby food and diapers and sleepless nights and worrisome days. There's, there's need for braces, Jim. There's certainly clothes and school supplies and college tuition. Maybe the repair of the car a few times. There's headaches and disappointments. There's a wedding to plan. There's grandchildren. I mean, the, the cost just never ends. No, just, just I think I'll just pass on that gift. Aren't we glad that none of our parents ever said that? God, I don't, I don't think I want to accept your gift. The responsibility is just too great. But well, what about the responsibilities that comes with being given the gift the kingdom of heaven? Never stop. Think about that. It's not insignificant. We're told that we should give up our materialistic ways and share our wealth and be constantly on guard for the return of Christ. Now, to that list of things <coughs> that we know the respect that we're expected to do as faithful Christian people, like loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, serving others. All of a sudden, God's gift begins to be really burdensome, doesn't it? Maybe that's why Jesus began by saying, do not be afraid. Because when we stop to look at this gift of God and responsibilities that come with it, it may well be a gift that should terrify the believer, the one who's receiving God's gift. And yet in the face of this tremendous responsibility that comes with the gift of the kingdom and whatever fear we might attach to it, there's a word of encouragement and a word of hope to the recipient. The word of encouragement is in the fact that the kingdom of heaven is not the burden of a single individual. We're called to join with others in doing the faithful work that God calls us to do. The flock is not a single sheep. You and I are individual members of a large flock, a large and growing flock of faithful disciples who are seeking to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now what does that mean? It means that the work we do is never ours alone to accomplish. We're each called to do our part as individuals and as a congregation and as a part of the greater church, trusting that God will send others who will join us in this ministry, the church, until the end of time. God's church is not meant to be made up of low rangers. None of us can accomplish as much as individuals as we can as a larger group. That's a fact. That's why I began a few years ago an attempt to, to get various congregations to join with me in support of food of the poor. Three years ago, I began that coalition of churches who would pool their resources. That effort actually began right here at St. Dunstan's at the rural church gathering a few Coalition is now made up of small congregations scattered across the country from South Texas to Florida, to Delaware, to Iowa. Individuals and congregations have joined their resources. Two years ago, we were able to fund a school at a community center in a small village in Nicaragua. Last spring, I was able to go to the Dominican Republic where we funded two clinics and two pharmacies. This year, we're attempting to raise funds to bring water. The two communities that have never had fresh water before. We're going to try to bring fresh water to the homes of every 600 families next year. And all of this because we're working together. No one church could ever hope to accomplish that kind of test, but together we can. And with God's word encouragement, <coughs> also a message of hope. Jesus said there's much to be done. He said that his followers may be faithful, diligent, and watchful. Yet, no matter the responsibility associated with accepting God's kingdom when it's given, there's something more, something immeasurably more. It's the incomprehensible love of God and every joy that comes with that. So we see that it's the Father's good pleasure to give not just the burdens but the blessings of the kingdom as well. When that pain-filled moment of birth is passed and for the calculation of the cost of parenthood, there comes that sweet moment of peace when a healthy baby is laid in the arms of his mother. Joy fills one small corner of the world and it grows from that place and moment to fill a family's lifetime. This is like the joy that can come from living in the sunlight of God's grace. Let's think just a moment about the blessings come with the kingdom of heaven. There's there's the joy, the joy that comes knowing that our sins have been forgiven. They're no longer something that we have to drag around with us like an ever-increasing load of garbage that we just can't get rid of. That joy comes with the knowledge that despite what we might think of ourselves or what others may think about us, we are deeply loved by the one who created us. And joy comes from knowing that the value of our life is not to be measured by our bank account, our, our good looks, even our standing in the community, but our fears, our weakness, willingness to serve, or even about the good that we've already done in the kingdom. In spite of any of those things, God valued you so much, he sacrificed his son for you. But you know, when I look at all those blessings that you and I have received here on earth, it's only the beginning. Somehow in the way we can't even begin to comprehend what God has planned for us just when we spend this poultry time here taught on earth compared to the endless possession of days in that place that would set aside for us the inheritance of in his kingdom. It's an old familiar hymn that describes that pretty well. we've been there 10,000 years, about shining as the sun.' no less days to sing God's praise than when we' just forgotten. This morning's lesson also speaks to us about the need to be prepared. Jesus told his followers to dress for action. There was a book that was very popular several years ago. It was called Dress for Success. When uh, I see many working people these days, I can only assume that the books again, out of print. <laughs> or at least no longer being by young people. But Jesus told his disciples to dress for action. In the first century, the men were long robes that could be a hindrance of work. And when a man was prepared to work, he'd gather up his robe and he'd tuck it in his belt or his girdle, and then he was free for activity. He could easily move about without any restraints. And Jesus told his disciples to keep their lamps lit. The Easter lamp was basically a cotton wick that floated in a, a boat of oil. You had to keep that wick trimmed, and you were all replenished, or your light would go out. then Jesus went up and said, blessed are those whom the master finds alert when he comes. How do you want to be found when Jesus comes? Now, we may all leave this world before Jesus returns. And then the question has to be, how do you want to end your days here on earth? Would you like him to find you with your work completed? Life for so many is just filled with loose ends. Things done and left undone things that we put off doing and things we haven't even begun to do. On the night before Jesus was arrested and tried and killed, he prayed this prayer to his father in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. We find these words. He said, Father, I have accomplished the work that you've given me to do. Isn't that the prayer that we'd all like to be able to pray someday? When the end comes, wouldn't you like to be able to say, I'm at peace with my fellow man? Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Many marriage counselors have told couples for years, don't go a of angry. Paul, in essence, was saying the same thing to their own church. Don't hold anger in your heart because it can destroy the relationship that God wants for his chosen ones. And finally, when the end comes, don't you want for God to find your peace with him? When that day comes, and it will, will you be going to be a stranger or will you be falling asleep in the, the arms of a loving father? Jesus said, do not be afraid of those flock. For it's the father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The responsibilities are there to be faithful and watchful and diligent. It will not be difficult to recount the ways in which a believer or a congregation's responsibilities can be fulfilled. But they are not yours alone to bear. Each of his or her own way has called me apart to further the kingdom, that the great enterprise of God's kingdom. Have no fear. it's God's good pleasure to give you a love so sweet and a, a kingdom so great that it'll take you an eternity to understand it and express your gratitude. But all this is based on faith on things not seen. The writer to the Hebrews says in this morning's lesson, now faith is an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The writer then goes on to say, by faith Abraham obeyed what he was called. As Christians, how do you respond to that question? Do you really believe all that stuff that's in the Bible? Do you really believe that Christ is the son of God and he died and he rose again? Do you really believe all that stuff about heaven and eternal life? If you're into it, yeah, I think so. It's what I've always been taught. It's what the preacher says Sunday after Sunday. No, that's not the response we need. What we need to hear is, I don't think so. I know so. Abraham believed. The scripture tells us that God counted that as righteousness. He was in a right relationship with God. But what can we say about the relationship that Abraham had with God? It was a belief in God against the world. If we follow the world's standards, we may well have ease and comfort and and prosperity. But if we follow God's standards, we may experience just the opposite. We may feel pain and loss and unpopularity times. We may not. There's that possibility. But as Christians, we know that it's better to suffer with Christ than to prosper with the world. Shadrach, Rishak, and Abednego, they didn't hesitate when they were confronted with making a choice between obeying God and worshiping an image of the king. They knew what they believed, and they were prepared to stake their very lives on that belief. Abraham had a belief in the spirit against the senses. There are those who are like men in last week's gospel lesson that put his trust in those things that he could touch and taste and feel. It's from those things that we can gain our enjoyment. Our senses tell us to grab those things for the moment, to eat, trade and be merry. But God's Spirit tells each of us that there's so much more in store for those who put their trust in Him. Finally, there's the belief against the present. There are many things which we can give, a <clears throat> that may give us a sense of pleasure for the moment. It may cause a great deal of pain in the long run. The opposite's also true. There are things that may seem difficult at the moment that we may develop into a great joy in days to come. God's great truths will also prevail in the end, and we need to remember that. It may have looked as though Pilate's verdict had crushed Jesus and the ministry that He had come to bring to the earth, but the future would reverse that verdict. It can be easy to say to ourselves or ask the question, Why should I refuse the pleasures of the moment for the uncertain future? But for the Christian, our answer must always be the future that includes God's will will never be uncertain. My future's in God's hand. He's given me a promise and told me not to be afraid. All the great heroes of faith have lived on that principle. They were in a right relationship with God and they refused what the world calls greatness mistake everything they had on God, and history has proved them right time and again. If we truly believe that this is God's world, then there are two things that we must acknowledge. First, we remember that everything in this world belongs to God and that we're treated that way. And the second thing is that no matter how things may look at the time, as we say so often, <clears throat> God is in control. And if we truly believe that this is God's world, he's in control, that our lives will have a sense of responsibility and a new power of acceptance. Abraham's faith was a faith that was ready for adventure. God called Abraham to leave his home, his father's family and business and journey to to the unknown. But what might happen in your life if you always followed God's will for you? Most of us prefer to live a, a cautious life. Our first concern is generally about our safety. But God at times calls us to be reckless. Think about that. If you knew the outcome in advance and take action, then that's really not acting in faith, is it? Abram obeyed God (coughs) and went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith. And there are times when I believe that God wants us to listen to him and act without knowing the end result of our actions. He wants us to act because we trust Him and we're not afraid. Abram's faith was a faith of patience. God told Abram that He was leading him toward a promised land, and although Abram eventually reached that land, he never allowed, was never allowed to possess it. God's promise never came true during his lifetime, but he never abandoned his faith and trust in God. What's the most difficult thing that we have to do on occasion. You may be ready for that adventure, and you may have accepted uh, to be patient. What's that hard thing to do? It's learning to wait. Learning to wait and work and watch when nothing seems to be happening can test our very being. It's during those times when we sink into apathy and allow our dreams to wane and even die. We may give up our hopes simply or make make our hopes simply lower our ideals. There are times when we must call on God for his reassurance and the strengthening of our patience. And finally Abraham's faith was a faith that looked beyond this world. Abraham had been given a vision and no man had ever done anything as great without a vision. It's the vision that enables them to face the difficulties, these the discouragements of life. You've heard me say time and again that God has a plan for your life. I, I might say that another way. I might suggest this morning that God has a vision for you. But God can't give you that vision unless you'll Him. He'll never force it on you. But if you're willing to accept the adventure, <clears throat> then be patient. God has great things in store for you. Well, I bit a food for thought. God didn't bless Abraham and Sarah with their promised son until what? Until they were well into their 90s. We've got some people here this morning say, well, I'm just just a little too old to be of interest. I've served God well in the past. I've earned my retirement. Let the young folk pick up the slack. Who remembers what I said last week about servanthood? Servants never get to retire. Isaiah told the people, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I believe that's God's message for, for this little flock here this morning. I believe that God has great things in store for this congregation, both as a whole and as individuals. i ask you again this morning, have you asked God what his plan is for your life? And if you have, are you fulfilling that task the best of your ability? If not, you going to be held accountable for it one day? is began to think about the new leadership that will soon be here at St. Dunstan's. Begin to think also about how you're going to respond to that leadership. What new adventures lay ahead. I'm going to be excited to, to watch the coming days because I truly believe that God has some great things in store for the folks here at St. Dunstan's. I believe you have the opportunity to be a true beacon of God's spirit right here in East Texas. You're a great little flock. And God has great plans for each of us. If we just be open to his guidance and leadership.